0: for Screen and country special presentation.
1: It would appear the sun has set on yet another corner of the British Empire, this one far down in the South Atlantic. Argentina today invaded and seized the Falkland Islands, which have been under British rule for nearly 150 years. When I was able personally to speak to the governor, who had arrived in Uruguay, ...that I learned precisely what had happened. He told me that the Argentines had landed... ...at approximately 6 a.m. Falkland's time... ...10 a.m. our time. One party attacked the capital from the landward side... ...and another from the seaward side. The governor then sent a signal to us... ...which we did not receive. Communications, of course, had ceased... At 8.45 our time.
0: Eh, children, remain calm. The Falkland Islands have just been invaded. I repeat, the Falklands have just been invaded. Ladies and gentlemen, hello out there. Hello, my, hello, my possums. Hello. Yes, no, I am not, uh, what, a uh, Dame Edna average <gasps> although you might have thought I was. What? No, I am, I am in fact your co host, Jason, here. And I'm talking to you, Brendan. Me? I am your co host. Me? Yeah. I, I you, no fooling. No fooling, and we are here on a podcast called For Screen and
1: Country, and that's about as long as the Falkland Wars lasted, in real time. Brendan, come now. What? It was 10 weeks. That's not a criticism, (laughs) just an (laughs) observance. (laughs) You know, there there aren't a whole lot of 10-week wars out there.
0: Not as many as there should be.
1: No, that's what I've always said, Jason. You know me. You know I've always said the real problem with the world is that we don't have ten week wars
0: anymore. If we could, if we could get our wars out in ten weeks, that gives everybody enough time to you know get it. We get to we fly the flag, we do the ticker tape and all that. We send the boys out into combat. Only a few hundred get killed, and then uh, and then we look cool, right?
1: And then we call it a day. We go home. We eat some sandwiches. It's a good time.
0: That's right. And that is what we are here to talk about today, folks. Not exclusively, no. uh, but in the context of this week's film. Now, Mm. what we have been doing on this podcast is we have been watching the top 100 films uh, of the war type. I like how of. you 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 started off.
1: Not you missed a word, a very key word, but you you mm-hmm. rejiggered it back and
0: worked it in right. and fixed it. Because you the top films
1: are a fucking pro.
0: That's right. The top films of the war type, one hundred of them, as rated by Paste Magazine, foremost authority in military films and horses. Um, but Brendan, yes, we took a look at this list you of course sweet summer child have no idea about the world or history no you didn't notice this but i did i went through this list and i said to myself i said jason i said i said there's not a movie in here dealing with the last great war of the british empire mm. and i'm talking of course about the 1982 response to the invasion of the Falkland Islands and the South Georgia Island by uh, Argentina, they went all the way to Georgia. Uh, Brendan, would you say that Georgia? Would you say
1: that Georgia was on Argentina's mind at the time? You know what? I'm just gonna say yes. <laughs> Georgia, Georgia. Just imagine I'm like waving my head around a little bit.
0: well these boys were certainly marching through Georgia but not the one you're thinking of no it is an island and so here we are we have this movie called Tumbledown which deals with the effects of this war on one of its soldiers it is a film based on a real soldier's life uh brendan that soldier has a name and if you'd be so of course i know it but i would really like you to tell the people what this soldier's name is. right because
1: everyone's heard you say it but it's time i've said it a million times time for me to talk the soldier you're you're talking about uh, that this movie is based on his real name is robert lawrence and he is played in this film by someone we've talked about many times on this podcast Mm -hmm. and that would be sir colin firth wait is he a knight no but i've just said (laughs) that he is someday he will be Jason, also in this cast, we have Emma Bowe as Sophie Martin-Wells. That's not Sophie and Martin-Wells. Her name is Sophie Martin-Wells. Paul Reese as Hugh McKessick. Uh, David Calder as his father, John Lawrence. Barbara Lee Hunt as his mother, Jean Lawrence. Mark Williams as Lumpy. And this is not a major cast member, but I have to mention him because he plays a small but integral part of the film. Pete motherfucking Postlethwaite. As a major at a rehabilitation center, Jason, you gave me that look as if you missed his appearance in no, the no. film.
0: No, no, I saw his performance. I just I was remembering it and remembering uh, the weird questions he started asking uh, our hero.
1: Does it make you sexually excited? Exactly.
0: Uh, also, in this film, for but a brief second, is the 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 fellow who plays Ron Weasley's dad. Mm. Whose name escapes me, but we have seen in other films. Ron please Sr. That's his name. Yeah.
1: Yes, please go on. Oh, I <laughs> thought you were looking up the actor's name. Nope, definitely not. I've got, I've got no time for that, sir. Uh, Paul Higgins? Nope, that's not it. I'll figure it out.
0: So this is the story, Brendan, about Robert Lawrence's experience going to uh, the Falklands, getting injured quite severely... And uh, then returning home and dealing with kind of the fallout of, uh, of that injury.
1: Jason, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Sure. Ron Weasley's dad is the guy who plays Lumpy. It's Mark Williams. I've already mentioned Oh, him.
0: Oh, does he have more? I thought, I literally thought I only saw him at like the beginning of the movie. He's probably not in much.
1: I didn't even know who that character was and I noted him. Okay. <laughs> when
0: I noted his name. Yeah, well, exactly. Um yeah, so this is uh, this is his story. Now, this uh, different from most films we watch. This is a television film mm. from 1988. Mm-hmm. We haven't, which is six years after the Falklands War.
1: And I'll say this, Jason, we haven't had a great track record with television films on this podcast. <laughs> no,
0: was the was the 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 Rainbow? Was that a TV movie? Nope.
1: Okay. The only TV movies I can think of that really come to mind are Lawrence After Arabia, the classic. Yeah, and. Sure. Uh, the Doctor Zhivago Ugh, TV miniseries. Yeah. Um, All right, we we talked about the 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 uh, Sense and Sensibility uh, brief miniseries. It was pretty good. But, yes, we did. That wasn't bad. But like, we really haven't anything <laughs> anything well, blow away great yet.
0: Thankfully, this one is is better than those. Let's let's just get that out of the way. Don't worry. This isn't. This is not on the Doctor Zhivago or Lawrence After Arabia le- level.
1: Okay, no, don't. certainly not. I guess I'll give it points for that.
0: Yeah. Um. But, yeah, so it's a TV movie. So, and it's also interesting because this is, you know, 1988. This is in the pre-Quentin Tarantino era, of course. We call that the 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 uh, B- BQT, before Quentin Tarantino. Oh, okay. I was going to
1: say, Quentin pre-Rentino. Yeah. Uh, so, wow,
0: nothing. Nothing at all. No, okay. you get nothing. And you'll like it. Um, Daddy. So... The reason I mention that is because this movie uses some really non-linear kind of storytelling. Maybe not maybe not quite to the same level that uh, uh, an intricate master like Quentin Tarantino might put it together. But mm. and certainly we certainly have
1: non-linear storytelling similar... invented by Quentin Tarantino. Yes.
0: Invented by Tarantino in 1992, Four. Two? Four. Two.
1: Two. Because two, that was *Reservoir Dogs, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't count that first movie he did. What, well, uh, my, my my the birthday party one? The, yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. <laughs> I don't think it's a, it's not even a movie.
0: But yeah, so this movie's told in a rather nonlinear style. And we're seeing like, we're seeing essentially like bits of him in the Falklands. We're seeing bits of him bef- before he goes to the Falklands. So we're seeing him in his uh, uh, peacetime job, which is as a Scots guard. So he's one of the ceremonial guards walking around wearing the big tall black hats.
1: Mm-hmm. I should also mention just real quick, Jason, um, the director of this movie also directed uh, a, a couple of uh, well-known films. He directed uh, Notes on a Scandal with Kate Blanchett and uh, Judy Dench, who is a dame, so I can say that properly. That's true. Um, and he also directed a movie called The Children Act with Emma Thompson and Stanley Tucci. The Tucci. Um, he directed uh, a King Lear movie with Anthony Hopkins. Oh. Uh, directed a movie called Iris with Kate Winslet and Dame Judy Dench seems like he's I've got a type yeah. and uh, Stage Beauty with uh, Claire Danes and Billy Crutup. So, so he's, he's
0: gone on to a a certainly a successful art house career. Yeah he's had some he's had a few hits here and there so And, and what is the gentleman's name so we don't uh, we give him a little promo here Richard Iyer. Yes yes Richard, it's Richard Iyer. Richard Richard Iyer
1: Iyer Iyer, <laughs> Man. You said you wanted a promo. I assume you
0: wanted monster truck style. ma mm, 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 monster truck. truck, 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 truck <laughs> Richard, Iyer.
1: come this Sunday, 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 to see Richard Iron take Tumble Down
0: Down. Please continue. So our hero,
1: Mr. Lawrence. Robert Lawrence, not...
0: Robert Lawrence. Well, lieutenant Lawrence? I don't know that we ever quite... I don't know if I ever picked up on his rank. I think he's a lieutenant because he commands a platoon, so... Mm. I, I guess. Anyways. So, yeah. So, so before the war, he's a guy. He's in the Scots Guard. He's like so many peacetime military guys. Um, you know, he he's doing his peacetime job, and he just he wants to get into the action like anybody. So, with this war kicking off, this is a huge deal for all these guys. Like, they're finally going to get to do the thing they trained to do, right? And going into this war, uh, they had... Certainly, the the uh, expectation that that would be a rather you know a pushover that the the Argentinians would not put up much of a a fight in the you know in the face of the mighty British Empire, mm-hmm. but turns out that oh no, Argentinians actually can shoot guns and, and hold positions. So they have to. So they they do get into it, and there is some pretty strong fighting. Like I mean, over the course of this war. The Argentinians lost something like six hundred people total. Maybe not that many. Maybe more like four hundred. I should check it. Out. I actually have the Wikipedia article in front of me just for the <laughs> reference. Uh, yeah, six hundred forty-nine killed on the Argentinian side, uh, and two hundred fifty-five killed on the British side.
1: Which again, so, you know, in the scope of wars in history, doesn't sound like a lot. But you have to remember, like Jason said, this was over the course of ten weeks. This was ten weeks, pretty yeah. quick and, and, in, in
0: comparison. Yeah, I mean and this was, you know, this I mean it's not World War II or anything, but like there were some real losses. Like the the British lost uh four four big ships, two destroyers and two frigates. They lost some landing landing craft, they lost also you know human lives, you know. And human lives for sure. The the big one though was the um the the British sunk the uh, uh, a cruiser that the Argentinians had the General Somebody, <laughs> the General General Belgrano. That's the one they f- sunk the General Belgrano. And, and I um, famously there is a Sun uh, tabloid cover when they sunk the General Belgrano, and it just says "Gotcha." Oh wow! Yeah, they were uh, pro war. Those guys. <laughs> mm. Speaking of pro war, Colin Firth's character. Colin first character, yeah. So he is, yeah. He is, he's amped up, because yeah, he's doing this. He's doing this guard duty. He's doing this ceremonial guard duty. They march around in these stuffy uniforms, and they, you know, they scream at each other, and they, you know, they put on the show for the tourists and everything. But this guy wants to get into combat, and he wants to get his boys in with them. So, of course, they do get deployed finally, and they get they get there, and they get into it, and uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty intense battle. Uh, and we, this is something that we learn over the course of the movie. We we hear mm-hmm. bits of it. We see bits of it. He talks about it. It isn't until the end of the movie that we actually see kind of the battle sequence play out and how it all went down. Were you
1: confused for a while? Because like, for at least for a little bit, because like before I got into like the groove of what was going down, um, it was kind of hard to follow. And then on top of that, the very thick accents at times um, with no subtitles. Thanks, YouTube. Uh, so I had to kind of make out what I could. <laughs> um, I don't know. I found it, I found it, uh, and maybe this is intentional, you know, on the part on the part of the filmmaker to make it a rather disorienting, uh, experience
0: for a while. Yeah. And it definitely is disorienting out of the gate because you're, you're switching back and forth between these different kind of time periods and then you're getting these occasional uh uh, almost like dreamlike sequences uh of him in combat or or like the like the first one we see it's literally him standing on a hill with a with a literally flashing bayonet (laughs) you know so he's like having these like and i think that's before he goes maybe that's representative of what he thinks you know it's like what he thinks war is and then we see these darker kind of fantasies later in the movie yeah uh, you know of him like going through the the ptsd i would say of it and realizing that, oh it wasn't actually that fun yeah well, so anyways no. sorry we gonna say something nope so anyways while he's there leading his boys just as they are kind of taking their objective which is mount Tumbledown. He runs up on the hill with his uh, guys in, uh, you know, of course, in an adrenaline state. He's just amped up, but he's got two, he's got two rifles in his hand. He goes up and he throws his hands up in victory and gets plugged by a uh, an Argentinian sniper, who blows out the side of his head, takes out a good chunk of his brain. I believe the uh, the number I read online was forty two percent of his brain got blown out. Jesus, yeah. By the, well, by the time they were done, I'm sure some of it was removed when they were taking the shrapnel out. Now, here's an interesting thing, and I, I need to say this now before I forget, but it. did you notice in this movie, Brendan, that all the guys are wearing berets and not helmets? Yeah, that doesn't seem safe. Well, turned, I, I thought the same thing, and I thought, this whole movie could have been avoided if he'd have been wearing a combat helmet, possibly. Mm. Well, I mean, maybe. I am not, not
1: assured. Remember, remember that uh, in the steel helmet, he only made it because he was lucky.
0: Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I don't know. I don't know how the bullet hit his head, but it's possible that if he was wearing a combat helmet, it could have been deflected. It turns out sure. that they didn't take, they didn't wear their combat helmets for two reasons. One, they were uncomfortable, and they would rather wear the berets because they were, they were lighter and easier on their heads. But see, the, the what helmets are mainly made for, more so than actual gunshots, is shrapnel. And the Argentinians, I guess, weren't using much in the way of mortar and grenades. Like they were just, it was a lot of like small arms fire. So the guys figured wasn't really, didn't really matter because if you get shot directly in the helmet, it's not going to matter. You're still going to get fucking killed.
1: Yeah. They're not bulletproof.
0: Uh, they're not bulletproof. But even if you'd had it on, you still have the, uh, you know, something can do, something that could kill you could deflect off a helmet, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to criticize these guys. Anyways, because of that, Thanks this goodness. guy gets injured. Yeah,
1: he, I mean, he's basically, you know, he's Bob Dylan and he's basically knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door uh, uh, for a good, good portion of the movie. You know, he's, he's, um, it's very, very much assumed by a lot of people that he's going to die. Isn't he, isn't he in a coma for quite a while too? For a little yes, bit uh, at least?
0: Well, I think initially, well, cause he's, I don't know if he's actually in a coma because like he seems lucid through most of it. Like even when they're operating on him, taking the shrapnel out of his head, he's like, he's still talking to them. He's just cussing them out the whole time. He them out, going on about stuff, and just probably just delirious, honestly.
1: Yeah, you know? and and in, in one scene, nearly racist.
0: <laughs> nearly racist, yeah. The, this, the physiotherapist is like, go ahead, do it, say it. He and reminded
1: he me of that Sam Jackson interview where that guy was oh, like, yeah. we heard the criticism about the uh, using that word in uh, Django Unchained, and Sam Jackson Ooh. was like, what well, word? Say it. What, what is word? it? word?
0: Go ahead and say it. And
1: he's like, oh, the, the N word. He's like, what, Nice what word i don't know the word we can't talk about it unless you tell me and he's like i don't want to do it he's like okay ask me another question it's one of my favorite interviews ever because you know that guy shit his pants when sam jackson told him to say the n-word yeah (laughs) say
0: it say it
1: but that that's what it reminds me of just this just the the physio the the physio guy being like no continue get racist i know you're about to go ahead give me a reason motherfucker
0: But this guy also, I mean, this movie, I'll give the credit, it doesn't really sugarcoat this guy. He's not the best dude. There's no. a moment in the movie where he's like, uh, he's talking about being, you know, injured. And he's like, oh, I hate cripples.
1: Yeah. But <laughs> well, I don't want to be one. Well, And I think, I think what he's trying to say in his more offensive uh, terms there is that he's like, he doesn't want to be pitied. I think is yeah, what he's no. saying. Like, I, no. I, hate, I hate cripples as in, like, I hate the idea of being, like, helpless. I hate the idea yeah. of of people look, looking at me and saying, like, oh, poor guy, which I, I know. Uh, this sounds bad. I was just going to say I know a lot of people that are handicapped. That's <laughs> not what <laughs> I want to say. But, no, I mean, you do hear it from people that are like, I don't. I don't want to be talked to like that. Like I know, I know my like, I know my legs are broken. I know, you know, my arm doesn't work or something. Like I just, yeah, sure, just treat me like anyone else. And I think that's what he's fearing at in that moment yeah. is like, oh, I'm going to be looked at as as uh, something you have to like throw fucking crackers to, you know?
0: Well, and we and we see that like on full display in that scene where he's laying in the bed and his like brothers and and uh, uh, his like fuck buddy are there. Oh, and they're so he... just kind of like, yeah, and they're just kind of like looking at him and she's not saying anything. And one of the brothers is kind of starting to cry and he's like going off on them. And and this is the thing. It's like, so he's lost a good chunk of his brain. He's paralyzed on the, ha- on the left side of his body. So well, they, yeah, he can't they, use his they tell left him arm at, first, at all. They tell him at first he's not going to walk at all. He's never going to walk, yeah. Yeah. And the physiotherapist even says like... It's not even just a question of your determination. The fact is you don't have a left arm to support yourself to be able to do the like the things we need to do, like the exercises. Uh, but that doesn't stop him and he is eventually able to like get to a point where he can he does have use of his leg he walks with a weird limp but mm-hmm. his uh, his left arm is forever disabled. Um, Jason, two but... movies come to mind when I watch mm. this movie. two
1: movies and I think the first one yeah. will be obvious, but obviously I thought of my left foot. Yeah, um, okay. because it's a man. It's just, you know focusing on a man struggling with a debilitating illness or you know injury or whatever, and and having a hard time and hating pity and all that stuff. Mm. And the second one is, uh, and I don't know if you've seen this, but we are going
0: to talk about it eventually. Is Born on the Fourth of July? That's the one because I, I knew there was one movie. I was trying to remember if it was that one or Casualties of War, but I I haven't seen that. But uh, yeah, it's about an injured soldier.
1: Well, yeah, because that's the movie where Tom Cruise is very gung ho about going to war gets injured and then quickly becomes a member of like, you know, the protests against the Vietnam War while still well, well then he's being seen as a traitor and he's trying to reconcile with that and uh and and but I mean this one not as much in that regard. Like obviously what's interesting about this movie is Robert Lawrence doesn't like suddenly turn on everything. yeah uh, he's still
0: very much gung ho by the end of the film. Well, he's he's one of those guys like throughout the whole movie his biggest fear is that he won't be able to be a soldier again. Right. And that's cuz I mean, that's probably a guy that's all he knows. That's all he's done in his adult life. He's 25 when he uh, uh after he's injured. Yeah. So Yeah. He's been in the army yeah. since he was 18. Colin
1: Firth is fucking young in this movie and full of cum, I'll just say yep. that. But not dumb. Not dumb. Well,
0: cuz he survived, so he's not right, stupid. Right.
1: Yeah, he he was uh 27 at the time this movie was being filmed, okay. so
0: very young Colin Firth. Um, so yeah, and and so we're seeing this throughout the movie. We're kind of switching back and forth. The yeah. the main framing scene, I think I I never got a clear answer on exactly who these people were that he was hanging out with. Um, oh, I talking, feel like Dad.
1: What? Uh, sorry, you like the f- scene that takes place like in the present. I guess.
0: Well, yeah, where where him and his buddy come in the sports car to the house and they're talking to the guy, right? Come in a sports car? Jeez. Yeah, they come in a sports car. You ever you, come in a sports car? She you could car? come on the brain today, bud. Uh, t- <laughs> Listen, it's been a long day. I had winter
1: tires put on today. You know how it is. Oh, yeah, mess you right up.
0: So, yeah, he's, um, yeah, I don't know who the who they are. It seems like dad is like, a, or, or the guy is like a history buff, maybe? Because hmm. he said that he had, didn't serve before or he had like objected to the war or something but, and, but yeah. they're there talking to him so I don't know if they're just like a couple of soldiers that are going to talk to a guy who's interested because the wife sure doesn't seem interested and then the daughter who they keep upstairs so that these uh, soldier boys don't uh, get a look at her oh uh, yeah <laughs> I forgot about uh, that detail yeah she well, she also was not really interested in hearing them talk about the about the war. Because at the end of the movie, she comes down, and she's like, That's all they talk about is the war.
1: She also seems very young. I feel like that's the
0: other reason yeah. they keep her upstairs. Well, probably smart. Probably smart. Yeah. Maybe when you've when you've been almost to death, maybe you care less about the laws of man. <laughs> I
1: mean sure. And only about the laws of love. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. But yeah. And so, yeah, that's basically the movie there. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we see moments of him through his recovery. We see him struggling. He's having a lot of anger issues, partially, I imagine, because of the actual physical injury, but also because of the PTSD that he's dealing with, um, you know, and and and, and, it, and he thought that all his squad mates were dead, but some of them did survive and were, were recovering. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, yeah, we see the full military sequence play out and... And That's it, where we are.
1: And it doesn't paint him in a very positive light at the end of the movie either. Because no. we we kind of like like you said, we don't ever fully do the like oh he's got a heart of gold oh he's turning a corner he's a good man really i mean we ca- we feel certainly we feel empathy for him because it's a horrible thing to happen to someone but um by the end of the movie when we see the full sequence of him just going nuts like stabbing that guy multiple times and then celebrating giving out a big like hurrah as like he yeah. celebrates on top of them on top of the hill it's like uh, i don't know about this fella <laughs>
0: like yeah but i mean he's that's what he's been trained to do like that mm-hmm. the the him stabbing that guy just stab 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 like that's that's bayonet training they do that with fucking sacks of sand like they just fucking stab 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 yeah and he and he and, and it's it's such a it's such a haunting scene when he talks about it uh with pete Posslewith, right mm-hmm. such a haunting recollection of it and then we see it at the end and i mean it's I mean, it's fine, I guess, as far as that sort of scene goes, but it maybe has less impact than him telling it the way he does.
1: I actually agree. I actually would have preferred just hearing about it because I like to picture how it looks, and sometimes when you have a scene where they're describing it and then you see it later and it's like it doesn't quite mesh, I guess, and it's like,
0: well, okay, sure. Well, that's... (laughs) I feel like the ending of this movie is... I don't know if that was the intent the whole time, but that feels almost like a bone thrown to someone who wanted to make this movie, but was told, come on, it's got to have a battle scene in it.
1: Yeah. And
0: then it's like... Because like, I, I like the idea of like cutting that stuff in, and we see bits of it over the course of the movie, sure. and we fill in the rest of the details from what people say, and, and the conversations, and the circumstances. Yeah. Um, it's kind of weird to have this, like... Nonlinear plot, build this up over the course of the movie, and uh, build up our understanding, and then we just get shown what happened at the end, like just straight from start to finish, kind of. Well, maybe what I would have, maybe what would have made it a little better
1: is in that scene where he's talking to Pete Postlethwaite, um, and he's talking about, you know, um, what he did, to make that scene maybe more vague, and then to show the scene of what he actually did. Like, maybe he describes it as like, yeah, I had to kill a guy, you know, and then I was just walking away, and then I got killed and I got, I got shot. And it was like, if you, if he had done that and maybe even we had cut to what was, re- what really happened. Like, I think that might've been more mm. effective of a way to do that, a, a way to end and I the mean, movie.
0: certainly when you're telling a, a story that's based on a true story, you want you don't want to go too crazy maybe with your creative liberties, but well,
1: I just, I just think about like, um, I just, it's more interesting to me when people, when you do, you know, interesting things with voiceover, when you're just explaining what's happening on screen, like it's yeah. boring. Like there's a, I, I was messaging you about this last night, but I just watched the new David Fincher movie, um, The Killer, mm-hmm. which is on Netflix. And what's really interesting about that movie, and I think what this movie could learn from that movie, even though it came out, <laughs> you know, 35 years before it, um, yeah. is in that movie, there's voiceover, and he's like, you know, I'm a hitman. I have to be very meticulous. I take my breaths at this time. You know, at 30 seconds here, I sleep here. I've got to take perfect aim. If there's a slight wind, like he's going into such details. But then yeah. you find it, but then you quickly see. It's bullshit. Like he he does that as like a, as like a front, like a tough guy front. But then when he actually, when the movie actually progresses, and he's like, you know, never never per, never anything personal, never 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 empathy. And then several times we see empathy. Several times he and the <laughs> so reason he, he goes on his like mission is a personal reason. Like it's just so.
0: It's a movie. He's like, I hear all the rules, and then he proceeds to break all those rules. <laughs> exactly, and it's it's so clever that way. Like, I, 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 I nice. don't you don't see that enough. But that's hmm.
1: that's the exact opposite here. Really, is just you're just getting voiceover, and then you're seeing it, and there's nothing yeah. really interesting there. Yeah, it's like next step down from that is like that woman in uh, um, Fatherland who just describes the Holocaust.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. <clears throat> and
1: sorry, folks, I'm laughing because it's the most ridiculous scene in the movie
0: it basically boils down to we did it and we loved it
1: yeah. they were like what is, she, what is the line she said in that movie they were like S- something in the sky
0: they were like the ashes were like snow flittering in the sky or so, you know, yeah something know, something like. like that but anyway it's not get, really that memorable let's get back to Tumble <laughs> Down um, so Brendan, let me give you a little bit of context about this Falklands War because I, of course, was aware of it. Aware of it happening, I always thought it was a bit of a joke war. Never knew the reasons for it. I
1: thought Grenada was always seen as the joke war.
0: That's all. Well, that's for the U.S. Okay. (laughs) Um, But I mean this this was a real. I mean, this was an undeclared war. It was not a formal declaration of war, but for all intents and purposes, it's a war, Mm -hmm. Um, and. Interestingly, it it's so very British because so the the where is it here the uh, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, which is a department of the UK. Um, so in the in 1965, the UN basically said, "You guys got to figure this out. You got to settle this." And for the British, the Falklands were a bit of a pain in the butt, at least for the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, because it was this piece of land that was all the way out in the ocean. It was near Argentina. Argentina had been claiming it since the British, you know, <laughs> took it over in the 1700s or whatever, mm-hmm. and they wanted it back. And, the, and and because they wanted it back and because the British were there, Argentina had enough swing in kind of South America that it was causing the, uh, the, F, uh, the FCO issues with doing business in south america so really for the fco it would be in their interest if the falklands would be returned to argentina because then it would settle that financial problem and everything would be good however the issue was that the the people that lived on the falkland islands not really interested in being part of argentina okay and to this day they had a referendum in 2013 and it was 99.3 percent in favor of staying a part of the falklands or staying part of the British Commonwealth. Jesus, yeah. So they are on board. Um, so tensions were raising throughout the '70s, and and in the '70s, Argentina uh, went through a coup. The president uh, of Peron, Isabel Peron, was deposed by this uh, military junta. Now, Jason, we're it wasn't
1: really... a coup; it's just a bunch of people having fun outside of a Capitol building. Okay, it's enough sure. about this coup thing. <laughs>
0: Regardless, a, a regime change came into place, and so we had these, uh, these generals in charge now. Mm-hmm. So between that and Argentina going through a lot of like economic problems at this time uh, because of the junta and inflation being huge, like obviously a war, it's one of those things like, hey, we can focus the people's attention and, and maybe get the economy going and we go get these islands back. Argentina, I believe, figured that because the U.S. was kind of buddy-buddy with Argentina... Now, Argentina at this time was a terrible place. They were going through this thing called the Dirty War. The junta was like basically just scooping up its enemies and having them killed like anti-communist, quote unquote, death squads out there just killing people. Mm-hmm. It was a really rough time. But they were working with the U.S. and helping deal with the Contras in Nicaragua, uh, Nicaragua, you know, international politics. So they had the idea that maybe the U.S. because of that and because the U.S. had been, uh, I think, not happy about the... UK invading uh, Suez back in the in the 60s, they figured that maybe they could get away with this, and that the British wouldn't seriously respond to this, so that they wouldn't be willing to go to war over it. Well, they guessed wrong. So on April 2nd, they invaded the islands, the Argentinians. They invaded South Georgia and they invaded the Falklands and they took the place. the The defenders apparently put up a real, real tough fight. It was brief but intense, and yeah, so that they had to eventually surrender. It was like 100 Royal Marines. And, um, yeah, so actually in that fight, only one, one guy got killed on the Argentinian side. So that's pretty good for an invasion. But, yeah, so then the British sent out a, a, a force. They had uh, uh, ships, you know, submarines, the whole bunch. And then they went down there, and they invaded the islands. Well, And this went on for 10 weeks, and eventually they were victorious.
1: I'll say this, Jason. Having heard your description of the Falkland Wars just now, and thank you for that... Um, I can see why it's not a super film-friendly war because it doesn't yeah. sound it, like there's... I mean, first of all, it's 10 weeks, which is difficult enough, but there's nothing mm. about it like, you know, World War II has all these... Like, World War II, like, the Holocaust happened, man, and then there was Hitler and there was Mussolini yeah. and there were all, all these battles and there was Dunkirk and there was this and there was that. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, can, I can tell just from you talking about it, it's like, oh, I, I get why this is not, like, a go-to for filmmakers. <laughs>
0: And, I mean, there's no real, you have to, It's like with World War II, there's very much that good guy, bad guy angle. You and I both know, and most people know, that there's more subtlety to it than that, that it wasn't just a good versus evil. <laughs> we all did plenty of bad things, but that's how we frame it. Uh, with a war like this, I mean, if you frame it as, like, the, uh, uh, I suppose, if you frame it as the, the Falkland Islanders being liberated by their by the British... Okay, we could do that, but that's not the approach this movie takes. And that's okay, because that, that might end up just being a propaganda film. In <laughs> but Yeah, I, I, I wish they would make more movies about small wars. I want to know what happened in, in an entertaining way, Brendan. And by the way, of course, if, as usual, if anybody has any insight into the Falkland War or uh, can point out something I made up, please let me know. Yeah, Jason
1: often just, what Jason will do, see, is um, when I ask him for context, he'll, he'll do some research, and then in the middle of it, he'll drop a little thing that he made up. Sometimes it's hard to catch, but <laughs> I will say that I, we did have one listener that uh, realized that uh, kangaroos were not used instead of, instead of tanks in one of the battles in World War II, and I want to congratulate uh, everyone for pointing that out.
0: Yay.
1: But Jason, yes, the, so thank you for that. Um because I don't know shit about this war. <laughs> <laughs> um I I do I mean we there is a, there is a a weird aspect they kind of thrown in about throw in about uh, I guess like you said his fuck buddy, Sophie? Yeah. There's a whole weird scene where <laughs> like he when we're see, cause we see cuz we cuz we're switching back and forth between the stuff after the war we're uh before the war and then and then we're kind of cutting in and out of like midway through too like it's it's, it's kind of all over the place but there's this there's a bit where he's about to go to war and he sleeps with sophie and there's that weird scene where they all run in to get him because he's going to be late and then yeah. his buddy just like hits on her as she's laying there naked and i thought that was a <laughs> bit weird and then i realized over the course of the movie he's like oh maybe this isn't like the greatest film representation of women <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean this it's like it, it's clear that she is literally a fuck buddy for him like they before the night that he left and they had sex he hadn't seen her for like two or three weeks, right? Mm-hmm. So and for him like he thought I think she became like a talisman for him to return home to and she didn't seem particularly interested.
1: No, I mean to the to the character's credit she does tell him at some point like this is it like we're not going to do this. Yeah. This is I'm not here to be your fucking you know, to be your fuck buddy. Yeah. Um, so I guess there is that, but you know, not still not exactly. <laughs> no, no, it's not exactly uh, canal in terms of female no. characters. It, they kind of touch. I what I think I like, and I kind of going back to like what he's, um, how he's still kind of gung ho about war, but he's he's obviously still disillusioned. But mostly it's about the military establishment, and the government, and the way they they're treating the vets after. So I mean, it and again. That's a universal thing. That's not a hard thing to understand. We've seen that in, in World War Two, World War One, certainly Vietnam War movies um, for oh, the man. most part uh, of just these vets that get treated like
0: shit when they come back from the war. You know, The bonus army in the 30s, man, that was one of the big ones. And then, yeah, and then Vietnam War. And, and it's like we, we ask people to go out and put their fucking lives on the line and they come back maimed, uh, disabled, you know, it changed for life and, and we're not willing to support them. Like, and we I mean, need, we need to support these people They're This is, this is the, the, like the, the most intense thing you can ask someone to do. And
1: I mean, it's not only soldiers. I mean, look at, look at, uh, you know, only in recent years, uh, nine 11 firefighters were fighting to get met like their medical needs. There's some of them are dying from all the smoke inhalation they, they had yeah. on the ground and they had to get a fucking celebrity to come root for them. Like, yeah, thankfully it worked to some extent and they did get something which is you know
0: but that's what it boils down to it's that it's that it's always the poor that suffer in these situations i mean wars are not fought by rich people brendan wars are fought by poor people on the ground ultimately that's who suffers that's who takes all the hits uh while the richies get to sit back in their fucking tents drinking their champagne and looking at uh reports coming in now
1: jason if rich people were the soldiers how do you think it would go
0: well, actually, I tell you, if 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 for real, if if uh, rich people were soldiers, we probably would be living in some sort of feudal society again, where they were like, they were like lords. <laughs> yeah, we worked for them. Knights.
1: Well, you, do you think maybe they they would just all kill themselves
0: off, and then we'd all be the rich ones, and we'd be like, that would, I mean, that's the thing. If if rich people wanted to fight wars with each other, I think we should televise it. Like, if we throw the you know a squadron of uh, of billionaires in against a squadron of other billionaires, like, it just let them fucking fight it out. Oh and man, just a bunch. See who's of, left
1: standing. A bunch of billionaires in a shark cage. Let's do it. A bunch mm-hmm. of billionaires oh. in a lion's den. Come on.
0: Somebody get Vince McMahon on the phone. I have an idea for a oh, pay per view. If
1: there's any money in it, he'll book it. He just won't be in it.
0: Well, I know. And we'd have to put him in it. <laughs> I mean, you know we, what? we shove him in at the last minute. He'd think that he was cool, but then we'd just kick him then in. Then
1: again, he's psycho enough. He might do it.
0: <laughs> he might win. That's the thing. He, he might actually he win. He
1: has a good... I think out of all the billionaires, Jason, he might be the genuine toughest billionaire.
0: If we're talking like like mano e mano yeah, definitely. I mean, well, I don't know, though. Uh, you know, what, what's his face there? Uh, Cuban? Cuban? Uh, uh, no. uh Elon Musk is a pretty Facebook tough guy. guy. Facebook guy has been doing the MMA shit. Mark, uh, what's his face? Mark, what's his face? You know, they're from the social network. Oh, Zuckerberg? Oh, Zucks. Yeah, Zucks has been like like getting all all uh, uh, MMA'd up. Because he and Elon were going to have that fight, right? Oh, please. I still think Vince McMahon could take both of them oh, at he, the
1: same time. Easily. Easily. I think Lauren Michaels could take Elon Musk. <laughs> I and mean, he's a seventy-eight-year-old man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anywho, yeah. Um, honestly, Jason, I don't have a lot of other big things to say about this movie, unless you have something you want to cover before we uh, before we move on.
0: No, I think we'll uh, we'll cover that in the the bits and bombs, Brennan.
1: All right. Well, on that note, we will be right back.
0: Oi, Age of Radio lets forever
1: oh my God oh my God oh my god I'm falling I'm I'm falling I'm falling I'm tumbling down for some bits and some bobs tumbling down for some bits and some bobs we'd like to apologize because there was a lot of BS that we said that wasn't movie-related, but this was a TV movie from 1988, so there isn't a whole lot a whole lot to say in a grander sense. But, hey, I hope you enjoy these bits and bombs. Kaboom, bits and
0: bombs. So, uh, first thing I just want to say right out of the gate, we haven't mentioned him yet, but uh, Wing Commander Lawrence... Uh, certainly is in the running for most British, uh, most British person. Wait, are we talking about, Uh,
1: like, John Lawrence, like Colin Firth?
0: Colin Firth's father. Oh, yes. Okay. The wing commander. He's got, he was in the Air Force. He's got a wonderful mustache. Yeah, your favorite movie. He's extremely British. He, uh, he dresses down a, so I love that. He dresses down a doctor at one point in the movie about his son's treatment or whatever. He, because, well, he dresses him down because when he walks in, the doctor doesn't, like, stand up and salute him. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and the doctor's a squadron leader in the, in the air force. And he's like, you will, you must stand up and show respect even for a retired officer. And then, and so the doctor does, and then he gets to go in and deal with his son, who's just a fucking asshole at this point and mm-hmm. just being shitty to him. And it's like, this guy didn't ask for this. And of course... The thing about doctors in the military, especially in wartime, is that a lot of them are civilians that get drafted into being doctors. They're not like soldiers that have trained in the army, so it's like they come in as a doctor and they, you know, they get promoted to whatever the equivalent of a army captain rank is, which I guess must be like a squadron leader in the British Air Force. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting. Yeah, so they're it's interesting. Too. They're, they're not they're not soldiers. They're doctors.
1: Yeah, it's interesting too because, like you said, his father father is. Like, fighting the good fight for the doctors to, like, tell him what's going on and for the government to update him and give him something while also having to deal with his shithead son who's, you know, understandably more of a shithead since his injury because ever anyone that would make anyone a shithead or more of a shithead. Mm -hmm. But, like, yeah, to deal with all of that, like, the person you're trying to help and then when you go back to them, they're like, fuck you, daddy. It's like, come on.
0: Well, he's even shitty to that one doctor that is, like, straight with him and even brings him a beer, and he still is shitty still to still
1: shitty. He's also, like, really pervy with the nurses. Yeah. I, gotta say, well, I
0: mean, that's soldiers, I imagine. <laughs>
1: Jason, I gotta say, though, Colin Firth is tremendous in this movie. Yeah, um, his performance is great. It's, an, it's a fantastic performance. Again, it did remind me a little bit of Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot, um, mostly for his, like, indignation, <laughs> but... Mm. Uh, I will say the one thing that I, do, I don't I think they could have done away with, and I'm pretty sure they're fake, is those fucking teeth, because I don't think those are
0: Colin Firth's teeth. Did you not notice no. the teeth? Well, I mean, I, I feel like they probably are his uh, original teeth and that maybe he got them fixed later. Oh, maybe. Okay. Because when
1: I saw them, I was like, why does well, he have wh-? – when I saw them, Jason, I asked myself when Remy Malik met up with Colin Firth and asked to borrow <laughs> them for Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> because they looked well, real fake.
0: Well, also you must remember the, the British, uh, famous for their teeth, mm. uh, healthy teeth certainly, but maybe don't look the greatest, just, and that's just be- from difference in dental uh, standards. just uh, not like standards, he... but like we're more about whitening on this side of the pond. It just looked like he was struggling to speak, <laughs> at times but, but of the teeth. he was. But I think part of that too was I, maybe he maybe had something shoved in his mouth because he was he was paralyzed on his left side. No, right? I'm so, talking
1: about before that, Jason.
0: Oh, like even maybe. before that, I found like he was struggling to speak with those chompers. Well, when we when we get him on the podcast to talk about his movies, we will ask him if he wore fake teeth in that movie.
1: Yeah, it would be the only podcast to interview Colin Firth and spend the entire time asking him about his teeth in Tumbledown, yeah. a movie. That's exactly that, it. Um, a movie that um, certainly he
0: may not remember doing. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and and according to Letterboxd, only about 100 people have seen. Wow. <laughs>
0: By the way, I'm pretty sure that the pictures we see in the movie of his head are actually of the guy's head. I was going to ask you that, too. It looks like there's some real pictures and and maybe some real footage,
1: too. Yeah, because
0: f- but I like the, the idea th- of him carrying these pictures around and being like, "Yeah, I want to, you know, like I want to be reminded of it, and I want people to see what happened to me." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and
1: and th- like the film quality changes a little bit too. This movie is surprisingly well. I mean, not surprisingly, but for, for me, surprisingly for a TV movie, it, it's kind of bloody at times, and it's it gets a little gory. Um, but it would make more sense, I think, budget-wise, if those were just the
0: shots of the real the, the real guy. <laughs> yeah, instead of having to build like a prosthetic although they mu- i think they must have built some sort of prosthetic thing because they we do see them operating on the back of his head and we do see like an initial picture that looks more like a fake a fake head yes um i i do give uh this movie is a tv movie so it's not exactly you know uh, uh cinema at its highest quality but i i do give credit the the battle scenes and the scenes in the falklands are shot very like very shaky cam very like you know that grimy, gritty, and especially because this this rip that we watched on YouTube was definitely from a VHS tape, so it was super grimy. Yeah, very <laughs> shot very
1: economically, I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, but looks cool and and it is yeah. and is quite different than from the scenes at her home, which obviously are not like that. They're not shaky cam. It's all just standard kind of shooting.
1: Very like very like a uh, lower budget Downton Abbey.
0: Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Because, yeah, he's like, because his dad's a wing commander, so they're pretty well off.
1: Jason, you, you um, keep saying that, and I keep, I, I I'm we already watched Wing Commander. If you
0: want to watch it again, <laughs> just let me know. Uh, we'll do that on our own time. Okay. We'll spare the public from that. <laughs> but, yeah, no, his dad's like a pretty, like a, well, I think a wing commander is like the equivalent of a colonel. Like, it's a pretty high rank. So, they do okay. And, yeah. also, it's clear, because he calls his parents mummy and Daddy, so he must be a little, uh... A little uh, upper crust, a little upper class. Twitter the year, um, for sure.
1: Uh, I question. Um, did he make a death pact with his buddy before they went to war? Because I think at one point he says, "If one of yeah. us is so fucked up that it's going to make us like basically alter our lives forever, I want you to kill me." And then I think his buddy even says, "Like I tried to, but there were too many people around."
0: Yeah, that was well. That was his excuse. I'm sure his real thing was he just didn't want to kill his friend, regardless. But then, you know, uh, Lawrence holds on to that and is kind of bitter about it that he didn't because now he's this, uh, you know, quote unquote cripple that he doesn't want to be. Yeah. And, well, and, I mean, the pact, it wasn't like it was like a a, a good faith entered into pact. He fucking slammed him against the wall and was like threatening him.
1: <laughs> this is true uh, uh, in a drunken manner, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. When they walk into the bar, and then and, he says, and then
0: and then that guy gets kicked out of the bar.
1: Yeah, well, when they walk into the bar, and then and then he said Robert says, like, "This might be the
0: last time you see me." here. And they're like, "What the? F-? That's a fucked up thing to say." Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, early in the movie, they or uh, well, we see him going to um, like a memorial service, like a, a Remembrance Day type service, probably just a memorial for the soldiers in the war. And they play the last post, and that bu- poor bugler sounds like he's struggling a bit. <laughs> Like, I'm, and it'd be fair, I don't play bugles, so I don't know how hard it is to play bugle, but he felt like he was having some trouble.
1: The only thing I know about bugles is that they taste pretty good. Ha-ha. <laughs> mm hmm. Jason, um, I thought, uh, now, this movie, again, like you said, TV movies, they don't go outside the, you know, straightforward path too often. I, I mean, I, there was some dreamlike stuff, and the, 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 ordering of the narrative was certainly unique. Um, But the scene that really stuck out to me is when they're uh, showing how a bullet enters someone. When they're showing it like there's like a close-up of a bullet going through like a fruit Um, and they're showing like basically how a bullet passes through your brain. They're kind of exemplifying how much power it has and I thought that was pretty cool. Mm
0: -hmm. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, Just as a quick side note and I may have mentioned this before but in warfare you have to use bullets that are of a particular weight. So that they go straight through a person, because that's an easier wound to deal with. Um, police, however, use bullets uh, that are that are illegal in warfare, and they do much more damage to a person. But the reason and yeah, damage that's very hard to repair. But the reason that police use this round versus um, those heavy rounds that they use in combat is that those heavy rounds, when they go through someone, they keep going. Whereas the rounds that the police use that are, again, much worse, but they end up in a person and they stay in the person. They don't go behind them. So there's a lot less chance of collateral damage. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't surprise me either. Also, police use tear gas, which is also something that is illegal in warfare. So what do you so it's considered a chemical weapon? So
1: you're saying essentially police commit war crimes on a daily basis. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's not a, that's not a very uh, controversial <laughs> point. I don't think. No.
0: Uh, so in this movie, they have a scene where they're all running and singing, and I feel like the director had seen Full Metal Jacket and <laughs> recently, and was like, "Shit, we got to have a scene of that in the movie of them running and singing."
1: Yeah, we're gonna be just like Full Metal Jacket and just as successful. Um, yeah, because
0: what Full Metal Jacket was '87, I think. So I think that's reasonable that year before that could have happened.
1: Yeah. Um, I noted that it's probably not a not a great thing to do uh, when when uh, La- John when Lawrence whatever. Uh, sees that other patient who's on death's door, and the woman next to him is like, "He's gonna die!" Like just right out loud, right in front of him. <laughs> I thought that was kind of. Yeah. I mean, even even if he knows, I mean, that's not the best thing to just
0: say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe don't drive it home. Yeah. Um, gotta point out too, this is 1988. This movie, and and ladies, I feel for you because the fashion in this era was fucking awful for women. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, the fucking shoulder pads and the big hair and, and the uh, and this is British women's fashion even worse I'm sure mm, just extra because the British have no taste. Well, they're just very, outside of uh, fancy uniforms. It's just a very repressed
1: fashion, I think.
0: Yeah, it is a lot of hair. clothes. Very conservative. Coming off the 80s, our
1: women wear four pairs of pants. That's right. Um, I think uh, I thought one scene that really. We, we talked about the physio guy and the part where Colin Firth almost says the N-word, but did you notice in that scene when he grabs Colin Firth's, like, crippled arm and puts it down Colin Firth's own pants at the end yeah. of that scene? I was like, <laughs> yeah. can you imagine somebody doing that in 2023?
0: <laughs> that guy <laughs> would well, be these are, done. These are soldiers, though. They do that sort of shit. They, uh, there's there's that, that latent homoeroticism that underlays every soldier. And guys, you know it. You know it's there. It's there in every sports team. It's there in every child's assembly of eyes. men. Every child, just this, every child smile. Th- this testosterone that's always running underneath, that everybody just is just on the edge of explosion. Well, I'm not like
1: even it. talking about the the
0: homo, homoeroticism. I'm just talking about the <laughs> unwanted sexual touching. <laughs> well, that, but but he's showing him. It's like, well, he's unwantedly sexually touching himself because he can't feel it. He's got a permanent friendly stranger, Jason. Brother. Are you excusing him for these actions?
1: That is is—that is yes. sexual assault. Yes, I am.
0: <laughs> On himself. He's not the one that does it. Oh, well. But it's his hand. But so he moved his hand.
1: So if I move your hand
0: to your crotch, Jason,
1: I am yes. not sexually assaulting you.
0: No, you're just making my day better. Oh, boy.
1: We are getting the, the phone lines are really lighting up right now.
0: I didn't even know we had phone lines. This is amazing. Hold, yeah, yeah, I just, I just, I just, I just, I had them installed, you see. Hold, I knew a guy over at uh, American Telecom and Telecom. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. That, like, like Ma Bell, yeah. like you knew somebody. Yeah, yeah, it was back in the day when, when it was all one big company, see. And I, I bought a bunch of stock uh, before the war. And after I killed all those Germans, it shot through the roof. Beep. Shot through the roof.
1: People don't. Uh, people don't usually uh, spell out the entire acronym of uh, AT and I was a little thrown off there, but uh, that's great, Jimmy. Well,
0: well, it's what we called it back Sure, Because sure. that's what it was called. Uh,
1: Jimmy, do you mind hitting that uh, hitting that button there and seeing uh, who that caller is?
0: Oh, sure. Let's uh, let's go to the phones here, fellas. Okay. Uh,
1: hello, you're on the air.
0: Uh, yes, this is uh, Carl. Uh, Sturgeon. Yes, uh, I am calling uh, because I don't think it's appropriate that you, uh, gentlemen, impersonate uh, beloved actor Jimmy Stewart. Okay, This is bullshit. Jimmy, hang out, hang up on him. I, I, I don't want to hear it. I want to hear it. Look, I love you guys. I don't care what anyone says. Thank you, Jimmy. I'm going back the door now.
1: Look at all these other calls. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna hit this one. Let's, let's just see who it is. Beep. beep. Uh, hello, you're on the air. Yes,
0: yes. Hello. Yes, hello. Yes, is this, um, is this the number with the fellows who watched the movie? You got it. Yes. Uh, my question to you, um, uh, uh why are you all such big fucking idiots? Oh, baba booey, baba booey, blah, 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 blah. God damn it! Damn, we fell f- Why did we do that? <laughs> Jimmy, we don't need phone lines. Tear them out. Jimmy, can you screen these
1: calls? We, you, we. I knew we were going to get a Granny Howard Stern prank.
0: I'll, I'll figure it out, fellas. I'll get back. Yeah.
1: God, All switch right, to nice Skype. Job. What is this,
0: 1984? <laughs> <gasps> this year, it really will be 1984. <gasps> <clears throat> is it? Wait, what
1: year is it? What are you talking about? What year is it? 2023. Brendan, what year is it? It's
0: 2023. Oh. Okay. All right. I can I can work with that. What are
1: you talking about?
0: Don't worry about it. Look, fact is, we got a movie we're still talking about. Uh, we have a, a soldier who's been going through a lot. Uh, although one moment I got to point out is very, very joyful is when he has his first shit uh, since he got back. And everybody applauds for him.
1: That, yeah. Yeah. I wish I wish I had the same treatment.
0: I know. I know. I, I Jesus. I God, wouldn't that be a great day every time you took a shit there was like a standing ovation? I kind of just want
1: <laughs> I kind of now just want to like have something on my phone ready to go. Or after I t- after I come out of the bathroom after taking a big shit it just sounds like a bunch of applause.
0: <laughs> you just do you go, "Hey Google, I'm done." And then it's just like, "Okay." And then, <laughs> yeah, applause. <laughs> you know, everyone was going gaga over this like Poop app, or you could log
1: every place you poop. But like, it's not that exciting for me. I, I poop at home and at work. What am I gonna do?
0: <laughs> log. <laughs> I get it. But yeah, no, really. Like most of us, it's like home and work. I mean, yeah. unless you're all unless you're like a world traveler. Yeah, I'm or not something. a fucking
1: I'm not a fucking touring band. Maybe
0: if I was yeah, like, yeah, if you're like, if you're like a comedian on the road, then sure, I guess, like rating bathrooms is actually not a bad idea. For oh no, other it's not even, it's not even rating bathrooms, just rating your own
1: shits, and then you tell, and you, and oh. you put where you took them. Can you attach a photo? Uh, I think so. This nice. might be a good thing for like John Mulaney to get in bed with. I don't know. Oh, was John Mulaney like taking pictures of shits? <laughs> I mean, he, I mean, maybe
0: he will if he's getting paid. Maybe, maybe. So I, I I give this guy credit. He he definitely is British. Uh, he does try his best to maintain the British stiff upper lip throughout uh, his treatment because when there are times where he's not you know angry that he's like trying to be you know good spirits, trying to have some humor as much as one can have when one's laying in in you know infirm in recovery for months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. And then there's that moment, oh, there's that moment, and this is a tough one, when he first sees his parents, and he just keeps saying it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. All my boys are dead. It wasn't worth it. And his dad's trying to reassure him that, no, some of them did survive. Not everybody's dead, but he just, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. Yeah. Like, shit he's going through. Like, that's intense.
1: Um, Also intense is the scene where we alluded to it earlier, but Pete Postlethwaite is uh, asking him if he gets sexual excitement from killing people.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, Pete's there to, like, clearly, like, to interview him about his experiences for whatever, like, records, or... And, yeah, he asks some weird questions, like, like, the first question he asks him is, what is it like to kill? Which is a weird question to ask, like, if you're just looking for information, (laughs) that's a weird one to start off with. And it's also one of those questions that you generally don't ask people who have been in combat. (laughs) I got the sense that he,
1: and I don't know if this is right or anything, but I got the sense that he was a character like a government kind of person sent in to see if they could get away with n- not helping them financially as much as possible. Like, finding out... You, if, you
0: think he's, like, an insurance adjuster?
1: Yeah, like, finding out if, like, it, well, did the craziness exist from the beginning kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I also think it's part of... I, I don't know if it's trying to, like represent the idea of the the invasive questions of the people that that you know see a person that comes back from war and then ask them shit like that and them having to deal with it and try to figure out a way to answer it and also it i think it's pretty clear that pete posslewaite's character is not a combat soldier so he maybe has some contempt from from lawrence and uh, that he would be asking these questions but lawrence does answer
1: yeah no i think i think Postlewaite does flat out say he's not a not he's never seen combat and i I think that's why he asked was what it's like to kill because i think he has no idea
0: and yeah did you feel sexual excitement at one point Mm. okay um i I, and that's when he when he kind of describes him stabbing this argentinian guy yeah uh who was saying please in english to him by the end of it and then we of course
1: see the scene and it's like oh yeah of course we already heard about it um Mm. i think honestly the movie would have been maybe more interesting just in chronological order
0: maybe i know. think
1: i think that's my takeaway one of my takeaways from this like i think just ending with his recovery and i don't know i don't know i do or i you
0: know what i would even say like you could you could take it down to two separate things you could have flashes to what's happening in the combat and then flashing back to his recovery. Yeah. He, he like We alternate between him going through recovery and then through the combat until maybe eventually if we got it, then we see what happens by the end of it. And again, done in a more interesting way like we talked about earlier. Yeah, and like I say, maybe being vaguer and leaving things out so that when we see it, we get a fuller picture. Or
1: voiceover yeah. of not what we're seeing on screen. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So here's a weird scene. I don't know if this is based on real life. I, it's just a weird thing. So he's in the in the hospital bed at one point. And he's got a Commodore 64 <laughs> sitting beside him. And so when the scene starts, it's just like there's a computer there. And it's like, w- wait, okay. So is he just, you know, banging around on there with the one hand, just playing with whatever? Or... And then it turns out the whole reason it's there is for this one joke where he hits the button and it just prints out, like, I want to get the fuck out of here or something like that. And yeah. the nurse is like, oh, ha ha.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was... It was whatever
0: it was and it was literally just like a like a like a like a short basic program that just makes that appear on the screen over and over. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is like the first basic program that anybody learns.
1: Well, that's all the bits and bombs I have, Jason. Do you have any other uh, bits and or bombs?
0: Uh, He gets out of the hospital at one point. Uh, You were very stupid, he's told, uh, because as they point out, like he escapes out of the hospital. It's like, dude, you don't have a head really. The only thing you've got there protecting your brain is a little bit of skin and muscle that we took from your leg. So you going out and about is a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I thought it would interesting that, that the character gets a pity fuck and then she's like, okay, that was the last time we're done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then he shits her bed. Oh yeah. We didn't talk We neglected to yeah. mention that. He says he had an accident in her bed. Yep. Yeah.
0: Uh, And we've all been there, right? Oh, sure. I was a child. uh, Yeah, so my last note on the page was uh, he might have avoided all this if he wore a helmet. But uh, the last thing I actually want to see. Oh, and the pin out That was the other thing, too. At one point he mentions about when when he's on the table getting operated on, a grenade drops out of his pocket. And everybody, like, obviously is like, holy shit. He's like, don't worry. He's like, you can barely pull the pin out. Uh, on a good day so it's probably fine and then when he's in combat that is then referred to where he's trying to get the fucking pin out and he can't get the pin out before they finally do get it out and he tosses the grenade yeah uh one last thing i'm gonna say and this made me laugh really hard was that when we see um when we see lawrence you know after he got into the hospital and he's back sitting in that wheelchair and he's waiting for uh uh the i guess the colonel or whatever to come out He's wearing, like a, he's wearing a suit, and he's got like a Panama hat on, and he's sitting in a wheelchair. <laughs> and all I could think was he looks exactly like Guy Caballero from SCTV. He's got the fucking Panama hat and the suit. <laughs> it's like, oh, so if you're in a wheelchair, you got to wear a Panama hat and a suit. You know what? And then there's that fun moment where, where the guy comes up to him, and he salutes him, and he salutes him with his hat, and he's like, I thought the most amazing thing was you knew how to salute me with your Panama hat properly. Well, I'll tell you,
1: Jason, <laughs> SCTV, we've seen the – have some pretty obscure references in their sketches, so who knows?
0: Well, but Guy Caballero existed before this, so unless they're making a, an SCTV reference, which I doubt.
1: Maybe. Maybe. Big fans. <laughs> Second City Television.
0: And I call him Guy. I know he's it's Guy Caballero, but I like to call him Guy Caballero.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's all I got, Brendan.
1: Okay, well, Jason, because of the nature of this movie, I don't have a ton of uh, stuff to add to this, but I will say that um, this movie did spark some pretty enormous controversy, um, in part because it showed kind of the the indifference shown by government, society, and public uh, to, you know, the veterans coming home from the Falkland War. Um, There's also, also controversy because it was presenting this kind of untainted look um at this protagonist who takes joy in the brutalities of war um and especially the flashback scene at the end where we just see him like kind of exulting at the top of the mountain um it, it combines his love of military life as much as it shows kind of his feelings of abandonment and uh and you know bitterness when he's coping and recovering uh so colin, uh, colin firth even said like you know the political left and the right hated this movie because it didn't really conform to either of their ideologies mm. so yeah that's pretty much it i uh, will say though um this movie this television movie does not go to the oscars oh um but at the baftas we do have some tv awards and jason it gets a slew of nominations Oh. It is nominated – remember, these are TV awards. It is nominated for Best Actor Colin Firth. Um, the winner, though, is Ray Mc, Mc – and I have to assume it's pronounced this way – Ray McAnally uh, <laughs> for – for listen to this – A Very British Coup. That is – that is
0: – Oh, that sounds that fun. That sounds <laughs> – yeah, I can't Perhaps imagine. we should watch that. <laughs> I would
1: love to. I'd love to see what they call a British coup. Um, other nominations, Best Costume Design – Uh, which goes to the storyteller. Best design, which goes to Christabel. I don't
0: understand. Sorry, I I, I just got to interrupt for a sec. I don't understand costume design for like a modern military movie because it's like you didn't design the costumes. They were designed by the army.
1: You still have to design costumes no matter what. And it's I not, suppose. it's also, I mean, it's
0: not, I'm not shitting on costume people. It's
1: not just army uh, stuff, man. It's like all the costumes that every character that's wears. That's true. Everything's designed. The, the
0: weird, the weird eighties get up he's wearing, you know, with his sweater yeah. and his fucking poofy hair and shit. Every
1: bit of clothing is designed on that set. Normally that's, yeah. nor, unless you're super, super low budget, no one's bringing shirts from home.
0: But I mean, I guess my point is this movie to me doesn't like stand out as a sumptuous costume feast. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would normally associate, like I said,
1: though, just nominated doesn't win yeah um, best overall design which I'm not sure what that means but it does not win that uh, the winner is Christabel of course our favorite our favorite designed film um, that sounds like a video game award <laughs> best overall design uh, it's also nominated for best film editor and best sound best film sound both of which go to a very British coup and hmm. it is nominated for best original TV music which uh, of course goes to your favorite in mind the Beiderbeck connection Oh, Beiderbeck yeah it does, win. it does win for three awards. It wins Best Film Cameraman, Best Makeup, and which that's understandable, and Best Drama, Best Single Drama, Best TV Movie, essentially. So there you go. That's a big one that it wins. <laughs> um, I don't know the budget. It obviously did not go to theaters, so there's no box office to speak of. So, Jason, I'll just say this. Um, what did you think? Did you tumble for Tumble Down?
0: This is a this is a great example of a of a good TV movie, uh, uh, or or like a watchable TV movie. This is this is an entertaining entertaining. This is an entertaining enough story. A Colin first performance is great. Uh, no issues with anybody else's performance, especially love the dad. Um, but it's a TV movie, and ultimately it's watchable uh, and interesting, but not that memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I liked it, and I and I think uh, you know unless there's a better Falklands War movie out there and maybe there is I know there's a few others uh, uh, but yeah so far this is number one in the Falkland War category best and worst <laughs> so yeah you know what it's not a, not a bad movie there's probably better options for war movies to watch but you know it's if you watch it you probably won't be disappointed it's an eminently watchable film okay I
1: will uh I will say yeah it's fine like you know it's it's perfectly fine it's a it's a competently made movie um uh, it seems to actually have a better reception overall than we're giving it, but, you know, it's fine. Mm. Um, Colin Firth, of course, is great in the movie. Uh, it, it has a, a very TV movie look. Actually, the only thing that makes me, th- makes me not think it's a TV movie, and again, sometimes I forget that a, a lot of British TV movies have, you know, cussin' and... And fighting and blood and everything and and uh, that mm-hmm. made me forget like oh yeah this is probably like if this was on BBC they could have got away with that if it was on at like eight o'clock at night um, yeah but yeah it's um it it's it's fine I guess uh it's one of those movies where the performance is better than the movie in my opinion so on that note we're gonna move on Jason we're gonna we're gonna move away from tumble down and we are gonna go back to our list. Just for one movie before the end of the year, because we're coming up, we're coming up close to the end of the year here on on this here podcast. And as you know, we do take a little break, but we are going to have two more full episodes for you before we uh, we head out. And of course, we'll have our usual bullshit of Christmas and New Year's um, that you can enjoy. But. Uh, next week we're going back... Quite a hype man I am, eh? Uh, next next mm-hmm. week, not next year. Next week we are going back to the list for, I think, an appropriate movie to talk about this time of year. Uh, we're talking about number 100 on the war movies list, so certainly this is probably dog shit because apparently it's the worst of the 100 best war movies. Um, we're going to be talking about a movie called Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence from 1983, directed by Nagisa Oshima and starring... Friend of the podcast, Mr. David Bowie, um, also st- also starring Takeshi Kitano. Uh, Island of Java, 1942, during World War II. British Major Jack Selliers arrives at a Japanese prison camp run by the strict Captain Yonoi. Colonel John Lawrence, who has a profound knowledge of Japanese culture, and Sergeant Hara, brutal and simpleton, will witness the struggle of wills between two men from very different backgrounds who are tragically destined to clash. And folks, if you want to check out that movie in the meantime, that is available on the Criterion channel, so you can check it out there. Um, so that, that's what we got next week, Jason. Cool. So until then, though, uh, you can find us all over the place. We are on all Z podcast apps. Uh, our home base, of course, is Age of Radio. Go to ageofradio.org for screen.
0: And country.
1: You can also find us on Twitter at... F-S-A-C pod, as in for screen. On contra. Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. Check us out there. We are on Blue Sky, also at F-S-A-C pod. Jason, what about you? You are on stuff too.
0: Yep. I'm out there at Jason D. McLeod. That is M-A-C-L-E-O-D on uh, X bracket, formerly Twitter, close bracket, and uh, Blue Sky. Thank you so, for closing the bracket. I, was, I
1: got worried there. No problem. Happy to oblige. Well, there you go. We did it. We, we got it done. Um, Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence will be next week now Jason I of course the holiday season coming up yeah I, I look I look at you very tenderly mm. and uh, I say with such joy in my bones and maybe a little bit of an extended bone if you know what I'm saying <laughs> and I I stare at you with such such lust in my heart. And
0: I say to you, "God, save the king." And for this Christmas, I want a huge ball of string.
1: Oh, damn it! You're so you're impossible for screen and country. I'm Brendan, and I'm Jason. I, Don't God. you
0: call me impossible? You're impossible. You're so difficult to shop for. Oh, do.